privilege to be back here again with you guys. It's been about a year, I think, since we first visited, and uh, we brought some <clears throat> uh, a different team, a bit of a team. So just, where's the Benigay guys? Just stand up, just give them a wave. Yeah, awesome. And uh, they've been looked after incre incredibly well. We had a crew from Sale come up mid last year sometime. There was a window of opportunity between restrictions and lockdowns and you took the shot with the bus and you came up. We had a great time and so it's just awesome to be back here amongst you. I'm going to count you as family. I know you do likewise as well. Wow, this platform is very commanding. It's <laughs> I'm used to like a music stand. This is like... A, Oh, this is okay. This is fine. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's like a controlling a spaceship or something. It's awesome. Wow. We've had an amazing time. Um, we got here Friday. Coming from Bendigo through to Melbourne to here. It's like snail pace into Melbourne, through Melbourne, out of Melbourne. But we made it just in time for the youth night. We had a great time. And... Uh, Yesterday, like Corey was saying, we came and we had some worship and some prayer, went out on the streets, and then we spent the afternoon relaxing, went down to the river, and then last night, there was a bunch of us at uh, Tim and Beck's house, and man, the worship just went through the roof, just, and then we just gathered around Jesus, and uh, then we ended up having a bit of a good chat, a few of us, and we learned a few things. Francis from Benigo is impervious to spiders. They, uh, he gets bitten every day, supposedly, and um, instead of him turning into Spider-Man, the spiders turn into a mutation between Francis and a spider. That's what we learned, and um, so that was awesome, Francis. That was just amazing stories. So if you're afraid of spiders, ask Francis to pray for you, and uh, he'll impart. Awesome. Cool. We're going to jump into the Word, and then I know we're going to, we've got some baptisms coming up, and then after the baptisms, we're going to say goodbye, um, but it's not forever, obviously. It's until we come down again, or you guys come back up, and I just love it that there's, there's a cross-pollination in the kingdom, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's not a competition. It's an embracing of the diversity and the uniqueness that we, we each carry as two families. And last night we just talked about we're, we're two streams, but we're from the one river. And uh, we're two streams that cross over, but we flow together. And uh, so it's just great to be here. If you do have your Bibles, we're going to jump into a, a, very, a very particular topic. And um, I remember, well, obviously, yeah, the last two years have been pretty interesting for a number of reasons across the board for probably every person sitting in this room and probably about a few weeks ago I was just drove to Melbourne and I, I came back and we picked up our mobile prayer unit it's out the front you may have seen it just God's favor just a new project that we've, we've launched that it's just drawn the uh, the favor of man and of God upon and I shared a bit about on, on that Friday. If you want to know more, jump on our website or go to mobileprayunit.com and you can find out about that. But just it, in itself, it's a testimony that is blowing our minds and continues to do so. And I think that's what the Christian life looks like. It's never boring. It's an adventure every day. 
And so driving back from Melbourne, we picked up the van, and I just felt the Holy Spirit just ask me this question. If you could just do two things, if restrictions hit again, lockdowns hit again, and you had an invitation to just do two things, what would they be? Regarding the kingdom, regarding the church. And straight away in my spirit, I just heard the words, discipleship and prayer. And we touched a little bit on this last night around discipleship. Discipleship is essentially this, raising up people who look like Jesus and then self-replicate. The assignment that God gave to Adam and Eve, right in the beginning, subdue and multiply. That assignment has still carried on to this day. It just looks different in the New Testament. Right? You subdue the enemy and you multiply your seed. Have babies, if you will, but also make disciples. Multiply who and whose you are, and those disciples multiply, multiply, multiply. So that was one of the things that I felt like is absolutely number one. The second was prayer. And what does it look like to raise up a company, a generation of people who actually carry a culture of prayer? And, I, you know, growing up in church, we talk about prayer. We, we have uh, connotations and perspectives and ideas of prayer. But what is prayer? What does it look like to pray? Is, is prayer boring? Is prayer going through the motions? Is prayer a discipline or is it a desire? And uh, we taught on this a few weeks ago with the school that we run called Grace Garden. And essentially this, prayer is an invitation for heavenly intervention. Let me say that again. Prayer is an invitation for heavenly intervention. And when we started New Nature, we started a prayer meeting the first week, so five and a half years ago. And in that prayer meeting, it was myself and our good friend Tim, Tim McGuinness. And that first prayer meeting we had for the church, the words resounding in our spirit were, write the future. That when you pray, you write the future. You actually create things to happen. You, there's momentum in the spirit. The Bible says where two or three agree on earth concerning anything, it's what? Anyone know? established it's done right so i actually believe this husbands and wives in the kingdom you are some of the most you are one of the most formidable forces on the planet when you pray let me say that again husbands and wives in the kingdom are one of the most formidable forces on the planet when you pray and this is a journey that my wife and i have uh are living are experiencing are journeying in and growing in so Tim and I, we started to pray. And we, we had these words in our spirit, we write the future when we pray. When we stand in agreement, there's, a, there's an establishing in the spirit that in time will begin to manifest in the natural. Sometimes immediately, sometimes the next day, sometimes weeks, or however long. But when you come together and you agree on earth concerning anything, as a brother and sister in Christ, it's done. In the unseen realm, it's established. That's what the Bible says. We walk by faith, not by sight. So even though you can't essentially see immediately what you've prayed, by faith it's there. And it will come through. And so we began to step into this realm. So husbands and wives, I want to encourage you. If you're not praying together, you need to start. For your marriage, for your family, for your finances, for your ministry, for your church, for your city. So my, my wife and I started just, it's actually now become one of the things that we love to do together as a married couple, is pray. But it's also the thing we have to fight for the most more than anything else. Because the enemy knows just how powerful our, 
when two come together and pray. And so we're like, every day we want to try and carve out an hour, and a hour to an hour and a half of prayer. Man, when you make that decision and you want to carve that out, every distraction comes in. Every phone call comes in. Every appointment comes in. Everything wanting to pull you away from that time together to pray. But what we've found when we pray together, when situations come up in the church, when there's pastoral issues, man, we have seen them literally resolved overnight just by my wife and I coming into agreement in our bedroom or in our living room and praying. And I believe in pastoral care, you know, I believe, uh, you know, dialoguing with people, coming around people, healthy conversation. But sometimes time doesn't permit that. Sometimes we live busy lifestyles. And sometimes that's actually a spiritual uh, uh, problem that needs to be resolved in the spirit. And so I, I can, I've lost count how many times we've come together to pray regarding a spiritual uh, incident, situation in the church, and it's been resolved because my wife and I have stood in agreement. It's like we step into this realm and we, we do business in the heavenlies. That's the only way I can describe it. And we come out of that, that prayer time together, out of our bedroom, out of our living room, invigorated, full of faith, full of vision, and it's like, wow, we actually expect the future to look different because of that hour we spend together. 100%. So it's something you have to fight for. Absolutely. It's probably the biggest thing, whether you're married in, or, not, or single or in a, a, a group house or whatever, the number one thing you will have to fight for is your prayer life. So I want to encourage you, to, I'm going to want to impart into you today, into this, this community, that prayer is just not a discipline, it's actually a desire. So you can approach it with a discipline and that's healthy, but what does it look like when that discipline becomes a desire? It's like I'm not, you're not praying because you have to or because it's in your diary. You're actually praying because, man, there's an overflow in your spirit that just wants to meet with the Lord. That's the shift. But sometimes it starts as a discipline. Let me read a scripture to you. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, verse 36 to 38. This is one of my heroes, probably an unsung hero. Maybe you've heard about her, maybe you haven't. But you're about to get rocked by the life of this lady. All right, Luke chapter 2, if you have it, if you're writing notes, it's Luke 2, 36 to 38. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Verse 37. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshipping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So Anna had been married seven years. Her husband passed away. And then she dedicated her life, it says day and night, to prayer and intercession in the temple. Now on this particular day, Mary and Joseph come with baby Jesus. 
not to baptize him, not to christen him, but to dedicate him before God. And his excitement wells up in her and she begins praising and telling everyone Jesus is here. But there's a few things about Anna I want you to understand. If you do the mass, it's possible that, a, that she, um, at the age of 105 years, she had spent 84 years of that life in continual day and night fasting in prayer. Because you've got to take into account when she was married, then you've got to take into account the seven years that she was with her husband, then you've got to take into account the 84 years after that seven years. The reality is, is that she was most likely 105 years of age and she had given herself to day and night prayer and fasting for 84 years consecutive. That's more than a discipline. Something had come over her where she had surrendered her life to writing the future in prayer. I'm telling you, God is no respecter of persons. At 90 years of age, you can be the greatest prayer warrior this nation's ever seen. The Bible says his spirit brings life to your mortal body. So what does that mean? Well, how far can you take it? Do you believe it? Or do you believe as I'm getting older, it's time to pull back, it's time to retire, it's time to slow down? But then we look at a lady who was 105 going strong, day and night. We're seeing an influx of of women, particularly women, 60 plus coming into our community. We call them the ladies of gold. And they are some of the most zealous people in our church. They are devouring everything we teach them. They are turning up to every worship night, every prayer night. They are reading the books that we're recommending. They are at the school. They're wanting to start house churches, which we call Jesus hubs. They are giving the young people a run for their money. They're literally just believing God at his word, that his spirit brings life to their mortal bodies. They're not looking at nursing homes. They're not looking at retiring. They're looking at a fresh wind coming into, in, into them and lifting them up. The word was for them that uh, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. They will rise with wings like eagles. There's no retirement in the kingdom. I want to I challenge you right there and then. If a lady at the age of 105, can surrender her life to 84 years of consecutive day and night prayer and worship. Now, remember, this was in an inferior covenant. Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. The Spirit had not yet been poured out. How much more for us on this side of the cross than for Anna? Amen. I want to stir your heart to pray. I want you to, I want to walk away from today that there's been an impartation where actually you got me, I can't wait to get home to pray. I can't wait to meet with my husband and my wife to pray. I can't wait to get around my children and pray. I can't wait to begin to carve out something in our living room, in our bedroom, like my, knee marks on the floor. I can't remember who that was. But there was, there's a house, I believe it's in, in the UK, and that you, you can visit him, an old revivalist. And beside his bed, there's, there's marks in the carpet that have been worn out where he would kneel and pray. It's more than a discipline. It's a desire to meet with him. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 4 says this. 
I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks. During COVID, especially last year, one of the, the things that became a bit of a saying within you nature was praise is our weapon. Thanksgiving is our, is our, was it? Doorway. Was that right? Yeah. Praise is our weapon. Thanksgiving is our doorway. The Bible says in Psalms, with the high praise of God in our mouth and a double-edged sword in our hand. In other words, there's a place in praise, there's a place in prayer, there's a place in worship where it actually becomes militant. And you begin to displace and pull down powers and principalities. It's called high praise. It's when you go from just giving a token effort and going through the motions and you step into something collectively. You begin to actually wage war against the enemy. Things shift in the spirit. Thanksgiving is your doorway. The, the Bible says when Jesus uh, was feeding the 5,000, he took the bread, the loaves and the fish and he held it up and he did what? He gave thanks. And what happens? He stepped through a doorway of multiplication. There was 12 buckets of fish and bread left over. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Thanksgiving is an entry point for multiplication. So here's a real, real quick tip. If you're struggling to pray, you're struggling where to start, just start giving thanks. Just start giving thanks for your health. Start giving thanks for your marriage. Start giving thanks for your financial breakthroughs. Give thanks for your children. Give thanks for being born again. Give thanks for Jesus dying on the cross. You'll find yourself at a place of transition, at an entry point, at a gateway for multiplication. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a gateway for more, for increase. We enter his courts with praise. Begin to praise the Lord, even if you don't feel like it. The Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise. It's okay if it costs you something. It's okay if everything in you is like, no, I'm too tight, I don't want to do it. When you choose to do it, it becomes a sacrifice of praise and fire falls on sacrifice. Here's a secret. You, you can only give a sacrifice of praise this side of eternity. Because when you're in heaven, you won't just want, you're going to want to do it no matter what. But you have an invitation this side of eternity to give a sacrifice of praise. We're not led by our emotions. We're not led by our feelings. We're not led by our lack of sleep. We choose Him. I tell you, when you choose Him and you don't feel like it, Man, fire falls on sacrifice. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. So we're reading there in Timothy. And then it says this in verse 2. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Verse 3. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. What's written there is an invitation for the body of Christ to pray for every single person on the planet. That's what it says at the start. First of all, I urge you to pray, and who? For who? For all people. For your neighbours. For the teachers of your school, where your kids go. For your bosses, your managers, excuse me, your employees. Then he goes on and pray for kings. 
Well, I don't like the legislation that's being passed by the government. You don't have to like it, but the Bible says to pray for them. What if your prayers actually bring heavenly intervention into legislation? What if your prayers actually change the way that they think? What if your prayers actually go, oh, wow, God actually appeared to them in a dream. Angelic, angelic visitation came. What if actually your prayers began to write the future for legislation? We stepped into this as a, as in Grace Garden with our school, with our students, and we began to pray for the Ukraine. And we got all our students in a big circle at the front. Let's just pray right now for the Ukraine. And we began to do it. And some of the prayers that were coming forward were like, Father, we pray right now as the missiles are being launched from Russia, that those missiles would fall to the ground unexploded. The very next day, twice, the media reported bombs landing in Ukraine that were not exploded. Now you can go, oh, maybe that was a coincidence. Or maybe we just actually took God at his word and he used a little group of people in Bendigo to begin to protect the people of Ukraine. All people. Putin's on my hit list for prayer. If he's watching. <laughs> I don't like what he's doing, but it says to pray. We need to put side out sometimes our political, personal differences and pray. What, it's, what happens when someone in, in your community, in your church, irks you the wrong way and offends you? That's an invitation to pray, to bless them, to love them, to prophesy over them, to lift them up. Not pray prayers of control and manipulation, that's witchcraft. But pray prayers that lift them up, that bless them, that Father, we thank you for that person in our community that iron sharpens iron. Bless their family. Bless their health. Bless their community. That, that offense soon disappears. I love the kingdom, man. It's so opposite to the world. Everything in the world says when someone does something to you, hit them back twice as hard. The Bible says pray. John chapter 15, verse 7 to 9 says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. You know the funny thing about that is people take that verse and they go, you know, the Bible says if you ask anything in Jesus' name it will be done. But they forget that bit about abiding. Yeah, you can ask, but you need to do it from a place of abiding. Because when you're abiding, the things that you ask begin to shift. See, when you're, when you're not abiding and you begin to ask Jesus to do certain things in his name, often it become, become from a wrong motive and wrong intention. But when you're doing it from a place of abiding, your prayers actually line up with heaven and you become the mouthpiece for the kingdom on the planet. And then you can ask in his name and it will be done. We have a, a mobile prayer unit out the front. We had a, a, a trust fund, a business person, give us a $140,000 donation. To, to pioneer that movement this year. They said if we steward it well, they'll provide finance worth millions for 10 years. You know, six months before this even came on the radar, my wife and I were praying from a place of abiding. We call in the resource of heaven. Father, we actually believe for a divine appointment with a billionaire. That was our words. Six months later, we have a trust fund worth 1.4 billion contact us. 
We heard about what you're doing. People don't come to us, we come to them. You've come on our radar. Tell us about it, we want to finance it. It started off in a place of prayer, in, this, in the closet, in the secret place. The Bible says that what you do in secret, he will reward you openly. We weren't telling people we were praying for a divine connection with the billionaire. But you know what? Now I'm believing for two. <laughs> testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. All right, we just, we've seen testimony. Now do it again. Not so that we can drive better cars and have nice homes, but that the kingdom may advance and more people may be reached. But it starts in the secret place. In agreement, establish it in the spirit realm that in time it may manifest in the natural. And I tell you right now, man, that Ephesians, let's go to Ephesians 3.20. Let me read that. It says this, Ephesians 3.20, Now all, all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, able to accomplish infinitely more than we might dare ask, think, or imagine. Ephesians 3.20, that he would do infinitely more in other words, just try and imagine right now how much God can do through your life without limitations. You will hit a wall eventually. You'll come to a place where your mind cannot go any further. He says, I will now do infinitely more than that wall that you just hit. In other words, if he was to show you right now how much that infinitely more would be, your mind would literally implode. You could not comprehend his infinitely more. Infinitely more than what you dare ask, dream, or imagine. I've taken that as an invitation to pray. That my imagination was actually always created to partner with my prayer life. Often we, we pray from what's comfortable and what we think can happen, sometimes in our own ability. What does it look like to pray such dangerous prayers where it's completely outside of your control and it takes heavenly intervention beyond whatever you dare ask, dream, or imagine? When we're praying for a billionaire in our, in our bedroom, there's no way I could see that happening, but it was an invitation to pray and ask the Lord to, Father, we just pray for divine appointment. We, we are, we're believing for billions of dollars to come in to resource the kingdom. And guess what? It's starting to happen. We have a building in the heart of the city that we've been given access to one year ago uh, this month. It will hold 150 people. It's got four offices, a lounge room, a kitchen, right in the heart of Bendigo. We haven't paid a cent in a whole year for that building. We don't pay utilities. We don't pay rent. We've been given access to this building. They've said, use it as much as you want, free of charge, no end date. All right? You gotta understand, five years ago when we started New Nature, we were praying and believing that we would have a, a, um, a base of operations right in the heart of the city center. And everyone told us that's not gonna happen. And if you want that, you're gonna have to pay an extraordinary amount. Four years in, we get it for free. 
I'm not going to box God in. I'm totally believing my mortgage is going to be paid in full this year. He can do it however he wants. It was actually a year and a half ago by invitation from the Lord. I took long service leave and I was 15 weeks and my wife comes to me, she goes, Jason, I don't think you're going to go back to work. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> she goes, I think we're going to live by faith. I, I couldn't see it. I'm like, I'll let you know how. It <laughs> She's like, it's going to happen. It was actually two years ago this August. So 15 weeks long service leave. The last five weeks of long service leave, my wife's like, it's going to happen. You're going to go back to work and you're going to put your resignation in. Can't see it happening, Rachel. I'm sorry, I love you, but I understand the finances a little bit better. I see what goes on behind the scenes. I balance the books. I trust you. You're my wife. I love you, but I don't know about this. So what I decided to do, every Thursday for five weeks, I would go out to my wife's property, parents' property in the bush, and just spend the day praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. Drop the kids off at school, I'd go pray in tongues, walk through the bush, then drive, pick, pick up the kids from school and go home. Five weeks in a row. I wanted an answer. God, is, is this you? First week, nothing. Second week, nothing. Third week, nothing. Fourth week, nothing. Fifth week, the Bible says we've each been given a portion of faith, but in 1 Corinthians 12, it speaks of the gift of faith. Walking through the bush, praying in tongues in the Spirit, I felt the gift of faith come over me. And every fear, every worry regarding finance just lifted. And I knew I'm going on Monday to hand in my resignation. Now, I believe in work ethic. I believe in diligence. I believe in working. 100% don't hear what I'm not saying. But this was an invitation from the Lord to step into something new. I went to work on the Monday, resignation in. Completely at peace. The Bible says he will lead you forth with peace and he orders the steps of the righteous. This was not a soulish thing. This was not a fleshy thing, not wanting to work. This was an invitation from the Lord to trust him. Almost two years have passed now and we've had more breakthrough financially than we've ever had in our uh, 19 years of marriage, trusting him. It's absolutely wild. Ephesians 3.20, do you know what? It's, I don't believe Paul would write that in Ephesians and then not actually uh, have an example of what that looks like. So let's turn to Joshua chapter 10. Whatever you ask, dream, or imagine, he will do infinitely more. Joshua chapter 10, verse 12 to 14. Now, Joshua's leading the Israelites. There's a battle raging. And uh, what's happening? Is that the sun's setting? Things are getting a uh, little bit dark, but there's still an enemy to be defeated. And so Joshua prays this radical prayer. Let's pick it up. In Joshua 10, verse 12 to 14. Now remember, he would do what? Infinitely more than what we're to ask, dream, or imagine. So Paul writes that in Ephesians, but there's actually an example of it right here in the Old Testament. Verse 12 of Joshua 10. This is what Joshua prayed. 
Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. Verse 13. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in its place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Josiah? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and did not set as normal on that day. There has never been a day like this, one before or since. When the Lord answered such a prayer, surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. I love what it says there. It says there has not been a day before this. Let me read that again. Sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, verse 14. There has never been a day like this one before it or since. In other words, up until that point that Joshua prayed that prayer, there had never been a prayer with such audacity prayed in all of history. And when this person wrote, when Joshua wrote this, up until that book was written, there had not been a prayer prayed like that until then. But what about from when that was written until now? doesn't say there was not a prayer prayed like that before or there will ever be a prayer prayed like that again. It says up until that point. In other words, the prayer that Joshua prayed is now our platform and our standard for what it looks like to pray radical prayers. In other words, this is the starting point for your prayer life. There had not been a prayer prayed before or since or up until that time. But it doesn't talk about afterwards. In other words, it's a blank canvas after that point. So when I pray, this is my launch pad to pray from. But let's, let's have a look at this. Joshua looks in the sky and he points to the sun and says, let's have the sun stand still and let's finish this enemy. Now, from the natural point of view, without understanding astronomy, not astrology, there's a big difference, just want to correct one is new age, the other is a scientific study of the universe, astronomy. Joshua would look in the sky and he would see the sun rising and setting. But does the sun rise and set? If you think yes, put your hand up. If you think no, put your hand up. Yeah. So Joshua prayed to pray that the sun would stand still. But does the sun move? No. We un unless you're a flat earther, I don't know. Where's Joe? I know she's not, but that came up in conversation last night. <laughs> we love you, Joe. I know you're not a flat earther. But if you understand the solar system, the sun is the center of our solar system, and we rotate around the sun, the earth, and Pluto, and Mars and Jupiter, and Saturn, and Venus, and all the other planets in our solar system. But Joshua didn't understand that. He didn't have that knowledge back then. He just saw the sun rising and setting. So he prayed a prayer that the sun stands still. Now, if the sun didn't stand still, what actually stood still? The earth. Now, even so, even though he technically prayed an incorrect prayer, God still honoured it. But if you actually do some investigation into this, God is a God of order, God is a God of structure, and a God is a God of fine design. Would you agree? It says in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that by his command, he sustains all things. That by his voice, he sustains the universe. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 is what it says. 
He holds it all in the palm of his hand. Now, if you understand the solar system, if Joshua was to pray a prayer, the sun stands still, and to him it looks like it did, but we understand that the earth is going around the sun. Now, if just the earth stood still and the other planets kept moving, everything is thrown out of order. So I want to propose to you that God did in Ephesians 3.20 through Joshua's prayer. Infinitely more than he would dare ask, dream, or imagine. That maybe, now this is, I'm not writing a new doctrine here, so just come on this journey with me. I'm proposing this, that just possibly at the prayer of one man, it wasn't just the earth that stood still, it was the solar system. Now you got to understand, our solar system is just one of many in our galaxy. And our galaxy is one of billions in the universe. All work in order. What if the prayer at one man, it wasn't just the earth, it wasn't just the solar system, it wasn't just our galaxy, it was the universe that stood still. Because he would do infinitely more than you dare ask, dream, or imagine. This is what your prayer life begins to look like. Radical prayers. Dangerous prayers. I mean, we've been starting to step into this, and it actually is very stretching. So we've been activating this with our community and our our school. And some people, they're just not used to it. Okay, let's start again. Let's engage our imagination in our prayer life. Let's start again. Let's Let's go deeper. Let's go further. So we've got prayers praying that people, okay, as I'm praying, Father, I think as I drive past the morgue, coffins begin to open up and the dead begin to rise just because I drive past. Father, I thank you that hospitals will be empty in Bendigo. I thank you that the police are going to have no job to do. Like, this is where we can begin to step into. We had a moment about three or two and a half years ago in the prayer room. It used to be in Forest Street in Bendigo. It's now shut down and we've, it's been relocated. And we stepped in this place of high praise. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. And there's about 40 of us in the room. And all of us, there was like this invitation, this kairos moment. A kairos moment is like a, a divine moment, a heavenly moment that you can see more done in that moment than a, a hundred years in your own, own ability. It's like this window was open, this kairos moment to begin to pray against the spirit of suicide over Bendigo. And so I jumped up the front and said, hey, Kate, in this moment of high praise, let's actually come against right now the spirit of suicide and begin to release the opposite. And so we did for about 15 minutes, by faith, establishing something in the spirit. That 15-minute window shut, and we just continued on with the meeting. We didn't know what had happened, but the next day we were at a cafe. There's about five of us, and uh, we all got parking tickets that day. I think it totaled almost $380, but we're all like, that was, that was so worth it. <laughs> we, had a, we had a Bible study at the cafe. And um, we come out of, the, out of the cafe, and there's four, four young men out the front. One of them I knew, the three others I didn't. The one that I knew started talking to me, then the, the, one of the guys beside him walks up to me out of the blue, never met him before, says this, I tried to commit suicide last night, but I couldn't. I'm like, what? I go, what do you mean? He goes, when I went to hang myself last night, the rope snapped supernaturally. I don't know why. I said, well, let me tell you why. I said, last night you have no idea, but we actually had this 15-minute time of prayer where we actually began to bind the spirit of suicide and release angelic protection and help on the way. We just did it completely by faith. But you know what? I believe it was the grace of God 
that saved that man. And it was the grace of God that allowed that man to open up his mouth and just bring a confirmation that what we did by faith last night actually brought a change and a shift over our city. But what if he had never said anything? Would we have still had on to that 15-minute window by faith, believing that something had shifted? I pray that we would have. But just to have a random guy walk up and just say that the next day was a confirmation, I believe, from God saying, what you did was right, you heard right, quick obedience, you actually saved someone's life. Thank you, Jesus. James 5.16 says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now that can be subjective. What's powerful and effective? Like, how do you quantify powerful and effective? Because that may mean, what's powerful to you may be different from powerful to me. But the rest of that verse or the rest of that chapter talks about when Elijah prayed and the heavens were shut up. And he prayed again and the rain came. So he, in James, we, we see him write, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then he gives an example of what power and effective looks like. That at the prayer of one man, the heavens can be shut up or the heavens can be opened. So we, you got to understand, when you understand your righteousness, when you understand your identity as a son and daughter, you can actually have confidence in your prayer life. If you think, see, Ephesians 4 says, the fivefold apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists are given by Christ to the church to do what? Equip the who? The saints. If you reckon yourself a sinner, you're actually disqualifying yourself from being equipped. Because it said the fivefold is to equip the saints, not the sinners. So when you understand yourself as a saint and you understand yourself as a righteous son and daughter, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did, you can actually stand in confidence that your prayers are powerful and effective. You're not praying from a pauper mentality. You're not praying from a weak mentality. You're praying from a righteous son or daughter who accesses inheritance on the earth and go, when I pray, the heavens either shut up or the heavens are opened. When I stand in agreement with my brothers and sisters, there are things established in the unseen realm. When I invite Ephesians 3.20 into my prayer life, actually he would do even infinitely more than what I'm asking or dreaming or declaring. This building's not going to be big enough. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this resource. Thank you for being in the heart of the city. But it doesn't stop here. Once this is full, that's not, the, that's not the end game. The end game is to disciple nations. What we've seen is like God opens a door. You don't see the whole picture always. Sometimes you do in your spirit. He opens a door and he's actually looking if you will step through that by faith. And when you do, the next one opens up. And we've seen that with the mobile prayer unit, with our building. Even God gave us a vision of a, a Jesus vintage coffee caravan. We just put it out there. Within a week, this guy from Melbourne comes to Bendigo and puts down a deposit of $10,000. Next minute, money's coming in from everywhere. We needed $11,000 more to finish it off. We have a, worship, a Tuesday night worship night. This lady walk, drives in, so walks into the building, never met her before, 
Found out she drove from over 45 minutes away. She comes up to me after the, the prayer and worship night. She goes, how much do you need to finish the coffee van? I said, $11,000. She goes, done. It was in the church bank account that night. I'm like, I remember it was a stretch to believe for tens of thousands of dollars. I actually, without boasting, but in true humility, I'm so comfortable that literally I feel like believing for millions is now the, the normal for, for Rachel and I. Because we've stewarded up each step along the way. Now, if you need tens of thousands, awesome. That's no lesser request or declaration. He will do it. But he will grow you and mature you. And you start to... And so we've seen just crazy provision, but it's like he keeps meeting us along the way. So it's like, well, what's next? Like, if we can see a building given, if we can see a coffee caravan given, if we can see a mobile pre-established, that's not it. Like, that's the entree. <laughs> like, all right, God, I need to have bigger dreams. I need to have bigger, I need to just come and just decree and believe and ask for even more. Not so that I can be more comfortable, we know it. So that his kingdom can advance. So we can reach people, raise them up, disciple them. It's amazing what God's doing. If we're able to have maybe someone on the keys, we'll, we'll finish up in a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Lastly, without going there, in the book of Ezra, I would recommend this be your homework for tonight or this week is to, is to read the book of Ezra. And uh, the book of Ezra is about a man named Ezra. Very fitting. And um, essentially, the Israelites had turned from God, were marrying uh, into uh, different sects and, and partnering with paganism. And uh, Ezra just started to intercede and pray before the Lord. And if you read, once you get to around chapter 9 and 10, it talks about a whole nation turning back to God. Because one man decided to pray and intercede for that nation. One man turned a whole nation back to God. That's what we're believing for Australia. Pastor Brian talked about sheep and goat nations. We know what Australia was founded on. We know the, the, the morality. We know the biblical truth. We know that when this nation was founded, people went to church. People believed in Jesus. There was moral standards. We understand that. And I, I'm 41 years of age. And in my lifetime, I've seen it slip and seen it slip fast. In the education system. In, I used to work for Anglicare in, in that system. But what does it look like to actually begin to pray and see a nation turn back to him. Can we stand to our feet? Here's a, uh, give me a wave if you're a husband. If you're a husband, give us a wave. All right. This one's for you husbands, myself included. 1 Peter 3 verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, treat your wives with consideration as a delicate vessel and with honor 
as fellow heirs of, his, of the gracious gift of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Man, that was a smack in the face to me. Like actually how I treat my wife can have a bearing on the, the impact of my prayer life. He says, treat your wives as a delicate vessel. Look after them. Protect them so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's wild. And sometimes we need to take a look and go, well, why is my prayers not being answered? Well, how are you treating your spouse? <laughs> could be an indicator. I'm not saying it is. It could be. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hey, real quick, we'd love to just pray for you.